You're listening to Choose FI Radio. The blueprint for financial independence lives here. If you're looking to unlock the secrets to financial independence and early retirement, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and join a community of like-minded people who are getting off the hamster wheel and taking control of their lives in the pursuit of financial independence. Choose FI, your home for financial independence online. Super excited about today's episode. We are going to be speaking with Drea Harris Matenko. We met her relatively recently, and actually, it was a conversation that Brad had at the uh, Washington, D.C. screening of the Playing with Fire documentary. And Drea has committed her life's work to social policy, it's, it's her field of study. With that comes information that we just simply do not possess. Brad and Jonathan do not possess. And it's it's not hyperbole to say that when Brad talked with her in Washington, D.C., his universe expanded. And one of the points of the conversation, I'll bring him in on this, was social poverty. And what does it look like to take this concept of financial independence and financial literacy and really reach the people that need it the most? It's fine to talk about what isn't being said, but what actually needs to be said? What does that information actually look like? Brad came back to me and was just raving about this conversation, how we needed to have it. And we couldn't get it on the schedule soon enough. So I'm excited that we're rectifying that today. And to help me with this conversation, I have my co-host, Brad here with me today. How you doing, buddy? Hey, Jonathan, I'm doing quite well. And you're absolutely right. I've been looking forward to this for a few months now. When I met Drea, it was in reference to a question that was asked at the Playing With Fire. And it was about, is FI accessible for people of lower income? And I gave kind of my standard answer. It's a decent answer. Yeah, it's a, it's, a reason, it's a reasonable answer. I, <laughs> I, I hope so, certainly. And Andrea came up to me and, and said something similar. She's like, you know, that was that was a great answer, but that's coming from your perspective. And I think there's a wider perspective out there. And she followed up with this amazing email. And I just want to read a couple sentences here. And she said, as someone who grew up with food insecurity and someone who has transcended the enculturation of the psychology of poverty, I continue to identify a need for this voice in our maturing dialogue of personal financial growth. Mm. That just hit me. And I knew we had to have her on. So with that, Drea, welcome to the podcast. Hey guys, I'm so excited to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Well, I think what Brad said there when he was attempting to answer that question, it is, we realize that this dialogue is incredibly important and we're trying. We're coming from a place of compassion and genuine curiosity. And we believe that this answer will lead to better outcomes for tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people. But just because we're trying doesn't mean we know the answer. You know, what we're trying to do is find people that have lived this, have walked a mile in these shoes and can help us figure out how to help people that need this the most. And so I think that's one of the reasons that we're so excited about this episode. I think I wanted to start with, you know, your story. Why are you uniquely positioned to help us with this conversation? Absolutely. I think much of where I'm coming from is based in experience. It's that rooted piece of struggle and resilience that was implemented from childhood exposure that has allowed me to sort of keep an eye on conversations like this. So while I'm no longer sitting in the midst of that struggle, it's ingrained as a piece of me. It's a part of my DNA and will always be part of the lens with which I look at this work. So um, just a little bit about where I'm coming from. I was raised in urban Boston by a single parent 
well, a parent who became single while I had my memory, seeing my first violent uh, murder at seven, being exposed to this ongoing struggle of food insecurity, the harshness of housing insecurity, and really being able to navigate through that space also through sort of the private school system and onto an IV and and figuring out life with all of those steps and finally getting to an adult point where I've reached FI. I think there are some pieces where where the experience has allowed for a unique perspective, a space to add a new voice to the conversation. Drea, the phrase you used, psychology of poverty. What does that mean? That hit me, but what does it mean to you? Struggle is something that transcends how we socially look at people. Everybody has some sense of what struggle is. And that struggle is, com- it allows for us to, to connect across experience. The psychology of poverty is what's ingrained in us having experienced struggle. It's how we look at survival and the skills and and pieces of that process that are then integrated into our behaviors. So as we think about our saving patterns or our spending patterns, if we've ever been through something, some huge financial event, those things change, right? They change because we've understood what it is to do without and usually prevent that. We have some sense of self-care and whether or not we associate that self-care with money or spending or having things is usually rooted in that sense of experience, that enculturation of what it is to be rich. And so that psychology of poverty really gets down to that concept of resilience, that concept of self-preservation and how that is embodied in our process for, for finances. Do I need to have an emergency fund that's significantly larger than somebody else? Do I need to have mattress money, cash, hard cash that's at my disposal in the event that? Do I feel more or less secure sharing my finances? Do I have a sense of hopelessness? right? And that's rooted in this way that I approach dollars. And I think a lot of that is based in this way that we think about the grind and hustle and recognizing that that hustle and that grind is really what allows us to transcend the situation as well. So Drea, I'm hearing this phrase, psychology of poverty. And to my years and my experience, I'm hearing that as a negative. But then I hear you describe it, right? I hear you describe resilience and tenacity and understood what it meant to do without. These are very positive things. Whereas I would have thought you'd want to get over the psychology of poverty. But I'm thinking my initial thought was completely opposite. Yeah, I think it's really something that just needs to be harnessed. It's to identify what those habits and and pieces are. And because they're out of line with the status quo, oftentimes we don't learn how to harness it. But that grind, that tenacity, that resilience, that struggle, as it's rooted in our behavior, really is a positive thing. It gives us the ability to deal with the hardships as they're thrown at us and to then bounce back and use that energy to propel us forward. And so rather than thinking of, I have this psychology of poverty that I need to squander or change in a way that sort of completely readjusts the framework, it's rather, how can I redirect that energy and use it as a benefit to push forward? 
Yeah, this is a big idea. Um, that's a huge idea. And and I'm curious if you were to go back to your own personal story, you know, starting at the age of, of seven in a uh, Boston neighborhood, single mom, seeing a violent murder at a young age, dealing with the poverty that you've kind of laid out for us. How did you grapple with these ideas at this age? And what did it practically mean for your choices as they related to your own personal development and to your finances? Prior to leaving, my father was someone who was emotionally, financially, physically abusive. And that separation sort of added a bit of responsibility to me as a kid, even, uh, in helping to be the other half of the household. And so I got my first job in, you know, I must have been eight, nine, and I was sweeping floors at a local vet clinic and they would pay me under the table. And that money would always be set aside for a rainy day. I knew the rainy day was coming. And so by the time that, you know, I hit 18, I had always maintained that concept of needing to work, but that money was used to pay for the household. It was never uh, money that was kept, right? It was always something that I put aside that ended up going to pay the mortgage or going to pay the light bill or making sure that the house was warm enough that our pipes didn't freeze because we didn't always have heat. And those sorts of things were critical to getting into the, the habit of one, saving, two, understanding the relationship between work and, and living, and three, understanding that there was no space not to take care of what you needed to take care of, not to balance the whole process. There was never an excuse, however, not to perform in the classroom. And as someone who sat in a classroom with people who had all the advantages, who were politicians, children, and sports stars, you know, kids, like there was a level of competition that came with that. And so identifying and taking advantage of local programs for educational opportunities, attending a local university for their summer courses or evening courses, whether I was registered or getting credit or not, and really understanding how those pieces fed into a broader dream uh, was a big part of, of how I navigated it. Um, it was seeing education as, as the way out, whether or not that's actually true or not. Well, I was going to um, ask you, I mean, that was going to be my actual follow-up is, you know, what you've described is for you, it was education. It was clearly education that for you, maybe increased your zone of awareness, opened up additional opportunities, changed your trajectory. I'm not sure, but you know, how does that pair, you know, what, what is your perspective on that? Is education the biggest piece of this or is there something more when you look back? I think I was always, I was sold the bill of goods, right? My mom was disowned for wanting to go to college. And so she always pushed in that education was really the way out. It was the way not to be 18 with five kids and the way not to get stuck in this loop of having to struggle. And so she made a point to put me into busy intersections where even just telling my story or asking if I can sit in a corner and take notes in exchange for being present or what have you really made all the difference. There are so many programs out here that allow for kids to grasp at knowledge, whether it's financial, whether it's STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math, whether it's history. And so being in a space to take advantage of those things 
allows for exposure to people who think differently. It allows for a greater understanding of what the world is doing and therefore gives a bigger picture of achievement. Looking back, education is not at all the only way out. I think the tenacity and the rigid scheduling almost that had to happen in order for all of these things to be done successfully, that skill set is really what allowed for those stepping stones, that those blocks to come together. But I highly encourage folks to take advantage of these programs, if nothing else, than for exposure to people who are in positions to assist them with their journeys. Dre, I know it's so hard to to think back to when you were eight years old and put yourself in that mindset, but but you used the word before understanding, right? You had an understanding that sweeping the floors and having that that rainy day fund and paying the bills and getting an education were essential. And I'm curious, were there conversations that you had with your mom? Was this just truly understood? Like I'm thinking of my own daughter who's just about eight years old, and and I'm not sure that that she would have that understanding. And I'm curious if you can think back, where did that understanding come from? Was it overt or was it just there as an ever present? I think some of it was an exposure to what the alternative was. I saw what drug addiction looked like. I saw what prostitution looked like and knew people who lived those lives. I had family members who, you know, struggled with alcoholism and and homelessness. I I spent time with my friends who lived in the projects or who lived on government assistance. Having that experiential exposure to what it was for folks to wait on a check in order to buy food and and for me watching my mom not eat so that I could that was part of gathering that that understanding. But there were also conversations. My mother never hid the financial struggle of having to rob Peter to pay Paul, as she would say, or pay one bill and let the other one wait until the next month, or pick up the phone and call and say, you know what, I really can't pay this. Can you leave it on for another month? Because I have a, I have a child here that we're trying to navigate this process. Having open conversations when the house went into foreclosure and to figure out how to navigate out of that, walking through applications for refinancing with her. This is where you put this down. This is how they evaluate it. That is, I think, how I established that understanding because I saw you know, the stress of not being able to pay the bills and how she would sit down and just cry. Or I was present for the conversations where she would call her friends and be you know, very explicit about where she was and what she needed in order to make things happen. So you're a, you're a doctoral candidate now. I mean, you have gone as far on the education track as you know anyone I know. And I'm curious, just because in passing, you mentioned, I don't think education is the only track, you know, and again, I, I really, my, my heart with this is reaching back to that, is that seven, that eight year old who will eventually become a 13 year old, a 14 year old who hasn't been given the playbook, who doesn't know the rules and is, has this feeling of hopelessness. And the opportunities are different and maybe there's not as many of them as there are for, you know, Brad's own child in this particular, that's the entire, that's the entire point that I think people have made. Where is the diversity? Where is the openness of experience? What does it look like for individuals that don't have all of these opportunities available to them? 
I mean, that's what I'm hoping to just try to glean from you with this particular episode. You know, education, I can, I can start to see the threads. You know, you show up, you hustle, you do whatever you can do to just get the information and slowly over time, get the degrees, you lean into that track and that's a path you chose. And it seems like that is a, that's a, that's a good one, but, but is it the only one? Yeah. I mean, I'm absolutely of the mindset that it's all accessible to you. It's just about navigating that pathway, asking the questions, going up to something that you didn't think was possible and saying, this is what I want. How do I get here? And not assuming that it's impossible to touch. But I do think that what's really at the root of it is the hustle and falling into your passion, identifying what your personal and individual mission is and aligning everything that you do with that mission. And so if it is that being an electrician is something that is absolutely, you know, it feeds your spirit, then be a master electrician and the best one in your space. And with that, you will find success because it fully aligns with who you are as a person. For me, it was figuring out ways to change the system, to figure out how to apply what I knew as a person with a pen and a seat at the table. That is my path. I love to read. And so I, I leaned into that reading and I showed up at Harvard and I asked professors questions as a middle school and high school kid. But those campuses are open and they have programs to reach back. Electricians will take on somebody to shadow and watch them work. And there's always the ability to reach to someone who's doing something that's interesting to you to say, hey, can you teach me? Or can I be your assistant for two days of the week? I started sort of my own consulting business uh, when I was in high school. And I worked with nonprofits to sort of fill in their programmatic and operational gaps. And some of that was so that I could learn how businesses worked. They might've paid me minimum wage. Some of them paid me more than that. But part of it was about, I just want to learn from you as the executive director of this company that's doing this great thing. I wanted to hop and I had another question, but now that question got way to the side. Let's <laughs> go and ask this question. You know, you have the words to describe what that initial request was now, but if you were to put yourself back as a high schooler that's going to approach a nonprofit to say, can I partner with you? Can I explore your operation? Like, what did that conversation look like? And what was your idea behind the idea? You know, like the unformed version of it. Now, you know exactly what you were doing, but then yeah. what, what inspired that? What was the thought process? I enjoyed working with people with disabilities. I enjoyed waking up and, and going and volunteering at Walks for the Blind and understanding how American Sign Language came together. So in showing up for those things that I enjoyed doing, I was able to sit at a table with somebody who ran a local association for blind individuals, blind and visually impaired individuals. It was, can I help you on a Saturday? And can I come and sit with you to learn more about what your organization does? As an adult, I look at it and I'm saying that's an informational interview. But as a kid, it was, I really want to know more about what life is like for you and how you impact the lives of the people that are beneficiaries of your organization. It was a very sort of sophisticated curiosity. And that curiosity led to additional opportunities. That curiosity is what created the relationships that allowed me to go to college. That curiosity is 
what blossomed into an overall trajectory towards a personal mission that is now sort of what I'm doing. Dre, I'm thinking about the psychology of poverty and also the phrase that I've heard, which is generational poverty. And I'm wondering, you know, obviously you're looking to bring this message to a wider audience and also back to your individual neighborhood in Boston. You personally went to, as it sounds like, these private schools and had that curiosity, which is remarkable. And I mean, I can't think of many kids that I know ever in my entire life who had that curiosity to just go up to Harvard and ask questions. I mean, that, that's remarkable. But how do you scale that? How do you bring that message back to that community in Boston and say, these are the couple of steps that I wish you would take that this poverty you grew up with, I believe it to be a thing that will instill resilience and grit. And I think there's positive there, but you have to take these steps. You can't just say, oh, look at how wonderful this is. You know, I have this positive psychology, but I'm still here, right? What do you do to get out of there? I think some of it is understanding that while the world doesn't give you anything, it doesn't take your spirit from you either. As simple as it might sound, It's kind of a a complex intergenerational hopelessness at the root. And that is the one bit of the psychology that we're hoping to change. It's, you know, if you have a Saturday morning and you have a four-year-old but can't afford soccer, take a field trip to the bookstore and just hang out. If I'm trying to reach an adult who came up in that, it's how does your grind land you in wealth? That curiosity for how to just connect those two things, that this whole world that I thought was completely separate from me, I don't make $200,000 a year, I make 25 and I'm trying to you know, navigate putting food on the table and, and keeping the lights on. How do I transition out of that cycle into something else can be as simple as having a conversation and realizing that sometimes you can work smarter and not harder. And the way to do that the way to bridge that hustle is to take that same route that you have, that hardworking, and start talking to people. Yeah. I mean, when you say curiosity, immediately what's coming to mind is talking about expanding your zone of awareness. And in your case, it sounds like although the formal title wasn't attached, you certainly have had mentors, you know, throughout your, your transformation here. And I'm curious, like, if you think about that mentorship model, what role would that play in you know, solving this, this psychology problem that, you, that we're talking about? Mentorship is everything. It's stepping out of that circle of people that's directly around you and thinks just like you to introducing people that think a little bit differently. Find someone who's doing a job that you want to do or who has accumulated the money that you want to accumulate and just have coffee. And if they won't have coffee, show up at their talks. And if they don't have talks, read a book that they recommend. If it's somebody, anybody in a coffee shop that you see that may have accomplished something that you want to accomplish, what is it that you're reading today? What's your biggest lesson in terms of getting from point A to point B? If you could tell your 12-year-old self anything, what would it be? And asking those tough questions and understanding that just because somebody lives a life that's currently different from yours doesn't mean that they don't have that same common space at some point in their story. 
I know I mentioned a little earlier that struggle is, is a concept. It's an experience that allows people to connect across the boxes that society puts them in. And that's exactly what I'm talking about. It's breaking down these boundaries, these boxes that we check, whether we're you know, of color, not of color, male, female, cisgender, not native to the United States, whatever, and saying, we've all been through something. And how can we connect on that level of something? Yeah, that's really powerful. And, um, you know, when you were saying that it, it crossed my mind, I feel like the questions that you listed, which were brilliant, were likely all questions that you have personally asked in your own journey. Is that accurate? Absolutely. And what came out of that? When you asked those questions, what information opened up to you? Beyond a list of awesome books and wonderful experiences and great advice, relationships came from that. Relationships with governors and former presidents and people who have really changed, not only changed their worlds by surrounding themselves with everybody else, but people who had the ability to change mine. That simple ability to ask the question, that simple desire to know more has absolutely shaken my existence in a way that I really want to pass forward. Most people who have achieved, whether they have come from nothing or come from dollars, are not only willing to mentor others, but they're excited too. Mm. And so sending that one email, going to the library, sitting on a terminal and sending an email to somebody just saying, hi, my name is such and such. Here's my story. And I'm really interested in learning more about you or what you are doing. You get more responses than you would think. And those conversations can lead to private school for your kid. It can lead to admissions to a university. It can lead to a job. It can lead to conversations with an entrepreneur who can show you the way to build a business that makes so much sense for you. And, and all of those things are really things that can give you life and really reignite all those things that struggle put in you. Man, I got chills, Brad. <laughs> <laughs> So if we were to take the natural progression of this and talk about, you know, th this is what happened. These were the questions you asked. This is the transformation that happened in your life. And you're on this path. The mindset is there. I mean, you've got this incredible trajectory. Let's talk about the pairing with financial independence with you. When you, yeah. you, know, you found the financial independence community, what that looked like in terms of, was this another lightning moment that expanded your universe? And how did that form some of your financial decisions after that point? So before I found Phi, I had sort of been in the working world, had graduated from college and had finished my first year of grad school and was sort of diving into the consulting space full time. Ended up having a stroke as an adult and became disabled. And in that point of, of finding health again is when I really identified what FI was and this concept of retiring early because retiring early is not a reality when you when you're a kid in the struggle right i realized that the things that i was doing already aligned so closely with this community of people that were trying to empower everybody else to sort of get the financial acts together and it was such a moment of reckoning for me it was 
you know, this struggle really isn't something that's going to hinder you. It's only going to help you. It was understanding how that hustle is really what other people are striving to get to. It was a moment of breath for my spirit because what had felt like uh, remaining humble in a in almost an obligatory fashion, something that I had to do, it became something that I wanted to do and and really sort of connected the process of healing physically and psychologically with coping with disability, right? With my work journey. And so it's been almost like I found my people, right? <laughs> it's pretty great. And it's one of those things where like, where the day-to-day can seem so difficult for so many people for so many different reasons, uh, whether it's based on identity or experience of otherness and adverse events of discrimination, like falling into the things that those things teach you and doing it within the community of Phi, of people who sort of accomplish this awesome thing of getting free, if you will, it absolutely shook my world. Yeah, that is amazing. So you said in there, it went from something I had to do to something I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And you also said, I found my people. Was that the light bulb when it went from had to to something I wanted to do? Yeah, uh, it went from sort of a traumatic response where I saved because I didn't want to return back to this this place of like serious uncertainty to wait, I can use this to achieve a new goal right? I can use this to do what I want to do. And that's my retirement is to own my schedule and to, you know, connect with people on a Wednesday afternoon over coffee and not have to work 80 hours a week. That was really what it was. And to see these conversations online and to participate in them and to, to find folks at a screening, (laughs) it was absolutely part of what brought joy to a process that was otherwise a traumatic response. And it, it incorporated that sense of healing into something productive. So I'm thinking about that question at that screening that was asked to me, right? Yeah. And I'm hearing your response now and saying, maybe this is easier than I gave it credit for. And I say that kind of tongue in cheek, but you're talking about having this hustle and something I had to do. It, it's there, right? And right. it's just that that little mindset shift. Is FI accessible and possible for people with a lower income and people who grew up maybe in poverty? Absolutely. You know, we think of FI as the choice between a BMW and a Civic, right? (laughs) But it really doesn't have to be because the concept of FI is rooted in the behavior and that behavior, it allows you to transcend struggle with something that you naturally do that you've already been taught. And so ensuring that we tell those stories of how we came from point A to point D, that's how we get there. It's making sure that we're talking about the behavior as a behavior itself and those pieces of it, sharing the stories of how we did it and understanding that freedom really is the result. We have all the pieces on the table. We just have to put them together. And so I, I get excited by it because it's it's already there. It's absolutely already there. That's amazing. And again, this kind of ties back to what you were saying before, which is the bigger picture of achievement and mentorship is everything. Yeah. 
It is. And, 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 you know, sometimes we can look to the stories that people tell through the blogs. Sometimes we can look to the videos and the podcasts and, and that's a sense of mentorship, right? You're watching somebody else who's come through this journey. You're understanding the things that they thought and, and things that they faced. And that's part of the mentorship piece. But where the piece that we're talking about in terms of filling the gap is diversifying those stories and making sure that we're telling it from point zero to point two and not just point two to point seven. It's understanding that at the root, at the very basis, we're talking about a behavior that we're teaching people, but that some folks may already have and just not understand the connection. And so that's really what we wanted to get to with with thicker grits, what I wanted to really sort of dive into is we've already experienced the struggle. We see it every day. We're trying to navigate a world that isn't built to keep people encouraged. It's built to sort of instill a hopelessness. You're supposed to go to work, keep your head down, not ask any questions kind of thing. And so you're transcending that with something that you were taught as a kid with how do I get lunch money for tomorrow? How do I make sure that there's dinner on the table? How do I, you know, help moms get what she needs for her birthday, for Tuesday, whatever? Uh, we're just harnessing it all. When we're talking about financial independence, what's interesting is we're thinking about this already as a worldview. And then when I look at your life experiences, there's a couple of threads that come through. One, the adversity that you had to work through as a child, teen, young adult, but also health, disability, something right as you were supposed to be making it, right as life had finally opened up to you, you just you got punched in the face, you know, by this, by this disability and to walk away from that and move forward. I mean, what, what are your thoughts on the intersection between diversity and health? Absolutely. So, uh, I think one thing that, that we're starting to talk about in the academic community, um, and really have understood for a long period of time is that adversity as it comes by way of any kind of struggle really impacts our health and well-being. And it does so on a molecular level. Our DNA actually changes for every sort of instance of struggle that we go through. That includes financial struggle. And we see it as generations go through, we'll see low birth weight pop up as an issue. Uh, we'll see people being more susceptible to diabetes genetically, right? Our DNA changes. And so part of what we're talking about is using the resilience piece that comes after we've already experienced that struggle and trying to reduce the impact that 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 has on our health, well-being, productivity, and our ability to deal with future, future adversity. So if we were to think about that in terms of money, right, we're talking about how previous experiences of poverty teach us things that we can then reframe into positive experiences, that trauma can be reframed into something that not only allows us to deal with future events in a more healthy fashion uh, that impacts our mental behavioral health, that impacts our physical health, but can also allow us to more adeptly navigate the world and the future things that are thrown at us. So you talk about this reframing and believe me, I totally get it. And I'm curious, like, how do you get this message out? How, how do I get this message out? Those are different perspectives, but like, there are going to be people listening to this who don't have your background growing up in poverty, but who still would love to help with this 
this reframing? How do we do that? I think it's remembering to take it down to the basics. It's referring people to conversations with, you know, rich and regular and other diverse voices to thicker grits, to these other spaces for clear and open conversations. But it's also in having conversations with people who have those experiences, tying it back to the actual behavior and linking to what their experience was. That includes listening to what they've experienced and making sure that those basic pieces are are connected. I may not have gone through A, B, C, and D, but I did go through something that allowed me to pull from my personal experience of struggle into something else. And I think that that's something that may help you. If we're talking about writing blog posts, it's it's writing in our speaking voices. It's it's being true to where what our perspectives are and allowing folks to do the same. You know, it's funny about writing in your speaking voice. I am a horrible writer. I go to write and I just gridlock. Clearly I don't have that same function or malfunction when it comes to talking. So when I, so came, many words, so many, <laughs> so many great words. But when it came to writing over my first couple of blog posts, I quite literally wrote in my speaking voice by pulling up Google docs and then doing speech to text. <laughs> and I it, it went okay. I was able to like, you know, get it together. And then I was like, Oh, that's a, that sounds like me. Oh, what a coincidence. But, um, I love that. I, I to your point, this is not journalism. You know, I don't think what we need is journalism. What we need is storytelling. What we need is That's to right. find people's stories that you can visualize because they've walked a mile in your shoes and you can see how just this epiphany that they had, this additional curiosity that they had opened up to the world to them. And in light of that, they are inspired to take action on those ideas. Story drives everything. And so be a storyteller, tell your story. And when you do so, use your Google speech to text speaking <laughs> voice. <laughs> <laughs> but also, not only have we hit on that, that stories do drive everything, but as Dre is saying, struggle, right? Adversity. These are things that we can all, regardless of what those struggles were and what those adversities were in our past, we can connect based on that because life is not easy. No matter who you're looking at, no matter how successful they are today, life was not a straight, smooth path. There was always that struggle. And connecting on that human level is really crucially important. Absolutely. All right. Well, on most shows, that would be the end of the episode. But Dre, on this show, we would love to give you the chance to tackle the hot seat. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. Let's go. In a world drowning in debt and rampant consumption, trapped by the chains of lifestyle inflation, these questions highlight the secrets of those who have broken free. Welcome to the Choose FI Hot Seat. All right, Drea, question number one. What is your favorite blog or podcast or book of all time? Oh, so I am a podcast gobbler. So rather than <laughs> listing all of the ones that literally consume my day, I have three blogs that particularly stand out. Rich and Regular is an amazing space, and it, it comes with that authenticity that I really appreciate. But there are two others. There's a blog called Clothed in Abundance, and then there's a blog by Jay Chavez that talks about trauma and, and transitioning trauma with new frameworks. Clothed in Abundance is a blog on minimalism and has a little bit of money in there, but really it's about getting back to simple and making sure that what's experienced in the past is shifted forward. So those are the three blogs 
that I find really helpful on sort of a day-to-day reminder uh, to go back to simple. But there's one book as well that really stands out. It's called It Didn't Start With You. And it's by Mark Wallen. And it talks about how trauma sort of moves forward through generations. And it uses Holocaust and Holocaust survivors as an example. So while it doesn't dig into some of the struggles of, of people of color in this country, it's a great example of how our habits and and things that we are sort of carrying with us continue to push forward and, and manifest in different ways. So we, we do a lot of conversation about transgenerational trauma, right? How grandma experienced trauma and then mama took this, this resulting behavior from grandma's experience and then transitioned that to me. And now I, you know, that sort of transition, that sort of transformation. And this book kind of dives into it a little bit. So it's a good sort of reference point. We'll have those linked in the show notes for today's episode. Question number two, an inflection point in your life that was especially memorable or meaningful. I would say getting sick and deciding to get better. After about a year of being unable to sort of leave my house, I just decided to do something different. And I bought a ticket to Africa and I went and I stayed there for three months and traveled (laughs) and then came back and said, time to live because this is not something that's going to change. So it was a decision that was made that suffering was not going to be my sole existence. Wow, that is amazing. So you had been going through this stroke and recovery and and you just decided to buy a flight even amidst this, I guess, negativity as you're describing. Like, how, how does that happen? Like, what does that look like on that day? For, for the type of stroke that I had, I will forever have a continuous pain in my life. And that pain is what was so debilitating. And I decided that I wasn't going to allow this pain to change my mission and to change my trajectory. So rather than sitting in the dark in a quiet space all day, indefinitely from 29, 28 years old forward, I was still going to live. And that living meant being in a brand new place and learning new things and talking to people and understanding what my life was about. I bought a one-way ticket. I went to Ghana. I traveled around Ghana and Togo and all those wonderful things. I left from there. I went to Israel and stayed in Haifa for a little while. It was just a decision not to worry and to to do something different. I didn't have I didn't have the option. It wasn't a choice. I was either going to live or I wasn't. Wow. I was going to live. That's remarkable. Yeah. All right, Drea, question number 3, your favorite life hack. Meditation. Meditation allows for me to recenter in a way that other things have not. And, and that for me is it can be in the sense of music, it can be in writing, whatever it is that really allows you to tap into what you're really feeling and how you want that to manifest your reflection point. That is my biggest life hack. It's the best one. Nice. For people looking to get into meditation, how how did you find it most accessible to get started? So for me, it was mindfulness-based stress reduction techniques. There are holistic clinics around the country that will teach it, but there are also community groups that do it for locals who are just interested in sitting and learning and being free in that way. So tapping into, you know, meetup.com or connecting with others 
and saying, you know what, I just want to sit and be still for a minute. There are free apps on the app store and things that will also speak to you, that'll lead you through mindfulness-based meditation. It's, it's pretty cool. All right. Question number four, your biggest financial mistake. Failing to assert my value was my biggest financial mistake. That means not negotiating at the job table and not understanding what I was worth. And that was something that I was guilty of sort of earlier on in in my career, but that I've definitely learned to adjust. Yeah, that's fantastic advice. And we were recently speaking, and it was this past week with Tori Dunlap. And in that episode, she told us that the failure to negotiate and in particular, the study that she was citing was referencing women, cost women on average over their careers a million dollars. So two cohort groups, one that negotiates over their lifetime and the one that doesn't, the difference on average a million dollars. So it yeah. can't be understated. Value yourself, you know, and know Absolutely. your value. Absolutely. All right. Question number five, the advice you would give your younger self. <laughs> so there are two pieces. One is harness your hustle that struggle and resilience are a gift and it is a gift that you can use to propel you forward. So harness your hustle, get in on your grind, use your grind to push you. And then the second piece would be to start now. Don't wait. You can be 13 years old, start now because it's never too early to begin to to move towards freedom. Never, never too early. All right, Drea, we have a bonus question for you. So what's the purchase you've made in the last, let's say, 12 months or so that has added the most value to your life? I invested in myself. And I invested in myself in terms of of training and skills in a way that allowed for me to further that concept of, of personal worth. And so to me, it's not, you know, it's not a computer, it's not a car, it's giving myself something that I can grow from. Uh, and I encourage folks to to look at purchases in that way. How are you growing with each thing that you're purchasing? How is it really benefiting you? Thank you so much, Drea, for joining us on the show today. I come away inspired. My week is better for having been able to share this this platform with you today. And I'm sure I can speak for Brad as well. People listening to this, they want to find out more about you, your story, and your content. What is the best way for someone to connect with you? Absolutely. So we're on Twitter and Instagram at Thicker Grits. I'm also available via email, speak at thickergrits.com. Check out the blog. We always interact with folks when they when they come on and post questions or make comments, and, and we're happy to connect with folks as well. If you got value from today's episode, and if you've been getting value from the episodes up to this point, just take one second and press the subscribe button on the platform you're listening to this on. It just lets the providers know you're getting value from the show and you want to be here when we produce additional content. If you want to support us in what we're doing here at Choose FI, here are four easy ways. One, leave us an iTunes review. To do that, just go to choosefi.com slash iTunes. Two, use our page to sign up for travel credit cards. If you want to travel the world with miles and points instead of your hard-earned dollars, then just go to choosefi.com slash cards and get started today. Three, if you're working on the milestones of FI, set up a personal capital account to track your progress and use our affiliate link. It's completely free. And just go to choosefi.com slash PC. P is in Paul, C is in Cat. And four, and most importantly, find your friends, coworkers, and family members who might be open to this message and tell them about the podcast. Have them start with episode 100. It is a fantastic starting place. All right, my friends, the fire is spreading. We'll see you next time as we continue to go down the road less traveled. You've been listening to Choose FI Radio Podcast. 
where we help middle-class America build wealth one life hack at a time.